Welcome to Kuden. This podcast gives you the chance to listen in as a student and a master of ninjutsu discuss the principles of warriorship, traditional training, and modern day techniques that are essential to real world self defense. Your hosts are Shidoshi Jeffrey Miller, a 13th degree black belt of ninjutsu, and his decade long student, Eric White, a third degree black belt. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years, including military service, federal police service, private investigation, and has taken him around the world to train with leading martial arts masters. Kuden allows you to listen in on some of the most highly sought after martial arts knowledge, that which isn't written in books or scrolls, but only transmitted verbally between a master and student. This is Kuden. Welcome to this episode of Kuden, and、uh, it's good to have you back, sir. Shidoshi Miller. Oh, I guess I should speak now. I can't be the ninja just hide in here.、Right? <laughs> okay, well, it's good. Well, always... I could have a conversation with myself, but I think soon out would happen much earlier. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always good to be here. <laughs> That's always fun. We laugh a lot. In I can show, try that. I, you probably wouldn't like that. Perhaps we should be serious.、I'll、the be, solo、I'll... edition.、Uh, Mr. Miller's not here today, so I'm just going to do the show on my own. <laughs> do my voice. Get what you get. Do my voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> There was a teacher that I had way back in the day that.、Uh, Always had this, had this thing, this, this vocal nuance, right?、Mm. And,、um, several of us that had deeper voices would imitate it. Never in front of him because <laughs> we liked our throats, but, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. but it was one of those things that,、uh, yeah, we did that a lot. So,、uh, it is, it is still at the, at the time of this recording, just kind of want to timestamp it a, a bit. And it's the end of,、uh, 2012. We're looking at 2013 coming ahead of us. And we really want to look to get these out, hopefully like on a monthly basis over the course of the year and、yep. cover some different topics. So, uh, as always, it's a good reminder that you can, you can send questions in warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. And while the show obviously isn't live to where we can take your calls, we can always kind of retrospectively go back and look at some of those questions and answer them. That means you have. You need to keep listening to the show if you want to hear your question being answered. <laughs>、yes. Right? Yeah. And、um, for those of you that are now thinking, oh, man, only monthly, dude, why can't you do it like weekly or daily or whatever?、Uh, you need to have time to work on or reflect on the things that we're going to be teaching on. If you're looking for entertainment, I think I talked about this in the last show. If you're looking for entertainment, Uh, yeah, you're gonna have to find somebody else. Yeah, the, 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 we're entertaining enough as it is, but,、uh, yeah, anyway. We've got some,、uh, some pretty cool topics this episode. We're gonna talk about,、uh, home defense, some tactics, and,、uh, there's a really great piece that,、uh, Shidoshi Miller put together years ago on, on danger prevention tactics. Oh, I thought you were talking that's about that. Uh, yeah, I can tell you what I do at home. It has to, it's a, it, it has to do with skunks. I keep, like, you know, kind of contained in front of my porch. Awesome. Spray on command. Awesome.、Uh, but,、uh, we'll talk about some real, uh, uh, kind of solid home defense tactics, kind of tease and wet your whistle with that a little bit and tell you where you can get more of those. And then,、uh, I wanted to step through the Godai and, and how we train with the different kind of elements of、oh, earth、yeah. and water, fire, wind and void and kind of cover those through a series. That'll lose. A bunch of Bujinkan people who think, oh, we don't really do that stuff. Really? Then why are the last five ranks in the Bujinkan named Chi Sui Kafu Kuda? Wow. I don't know. I don't go on the,、uh, the Bujinkan forums enough. That people are actually like, they don't do that now? That's not a part of the thing? People have been arguing about that stuff since like the mid 80s. Wow. That's not how they do it in Japan.、Huh? Yeah, well, okay. 
Really? Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. I've seen lots of DVDs with Soke, and he's sitting there going Chisui Kafuku to yeah. reference the Godai when talking. Uh, yeah, we're referencing the Gogyo because there's another way that the Gogyo that we typically teach off of is uh, is the Chinese system, right? Because we're working on the black belt strategy and tactics and things. So that's energy transformation. But ah. the Sanshin is built off of Chisui Kafuku, right? right? Although that's tip, another name for that is the Gogyo no Kata, which is okay. You know, I don't care if you call it Frank, Fred, or, or Susie. <laughs> I don't care, right? Um, but people get attached to, and this is part of uh, Buddhist training as well. And I know we're going to run over here again with the intro because I talk too much. Um, <laughs> but but uh, in our Mikyo training, in Buddhist training, there's this 12-fold chain of dependent origination. You went through that training, right? right. So yeah. we have these 12 chains, right? There are 12 links in a chain. And you go from ignorance, which is really not stupidity. It's It's just not knowing any better, right? I mean, you know what you know, but... If you've never really delved into it, if you've never challenged what you know, whatever, you, you're stuck with what you have, right? Link two is volition, right? Which just means action, right? So um, action based on ignorance is going to fall apart, and action based on enlightenment is going to be something completely different, right? Um, and then you have uh, those two things based on what you think you're perceiving and based on how you act and respond to that and the feedback you get kind of forms in your consciousness. So link three is consciousness, right? Mm. And you have this this experience. You're aware of this thing, right? And then ego steps in and creates something called name and form, okay? Mm. Name and form is the ego's attempt to crystallize the world. And as soon as you do that, you now make it something that it's not you limit it down to something you you make it you know, we have to label things right uh, it's even sure. in the bible right i mean you know god made adam run around the world and name everything and all that and um i don't know what language it was named in but anyway we have all these other languages right so anyway uh, there's this name and form okay and if we're not careful getting to attach to calling something by a particular name and that's all it is it's that's all it ever is, or taking anything that has a name, onikodaki, omotagyaku, or whatever, right? Mm. And believing that the official way is the way you learned it, that form. Mm. Like boxing it in. Is it, right? I mean, that, that mm. both of those will just cripple your training, mm. right? You'll look really good and you'll sound really, really smart, but you're not really able to, to operate like a true ninja in the world. I mean, you just, you can't operate in, in the gray area, mm. which is the way the world works, right? It's just a whole bunch of different shades and variables and, and all those kind of things, right? So adaptability just goes right out the window, mm. right? Uh, and that's why most people's henka, right, variations are just that they're, they're screwed, right? They're just they're they're not what they're what they're supposed to be. Um, a henka is is a is a variation of something that still accomplishes the same thing that the form was teaching. Right, even if even if it looks completely different, right, it still accomplishes the same thing, does the same thing, mm. you know, communicates the same thing or whatever, right? So, in Soke's words, there's a huge difference between henka, a very uh, a, a valid variation on something, and doing whatever the hell you want, right? It's not that what you're doing doesn't work or won't work or whatever, but don't call it a henka if 
you just like completely deviated away from what was going on, right? Mm. Uh, and you know, maybe you're doing something that's closer to Waza, which is something that's communicated in Shinden Fudo to you. So you have a, a form that looks completely different. I mean, radically different, right? So a henka is just like, you know, instead of punching the guy in the stomach, you kick him in the stomach, okay. right? But it's still on the same angle, the same line. It still drives him in the same direction and sets him up for the next part of the kata. Mm. So that's a valid henka, right? But a waza is a completely different form hmm. that does exactly the same thing as the original model. Okay, hmm. here's an example. Onikudaki, Omote Gyaku, Osotonage, right, and uh, Mushadori are all waza. For, so for beginners, they're just little techniques that you learn, right? But for advanced students, they fulfill the waza uh, principle or concept, right? Because all four of them do exactly the same thing. They take the attacker off his heels by locking his spine and dropping him on his back, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So later on, being able to group three or more techniques that do exactly the same thing, right? Now gives you more options and allows you to think a little bit more logically and clearly in the flow of things. So so that means I can do anything I want, right, as long as I'm doing one of these four. No. Omota Gyaku is long range, affecting the hand wrist to take the guy off his feet, right? Onikudaki is mid-range, doing the same thing. Mushadori is close range, and Osotonage, the rear hip throw, is extremely close range, right? Right. So... Same things, right? Hmm. Okay. So, but there, there are these other things. Okay, so there's this other one, and it scoops his feet up. Uh, see, if you're scooping his feet up off the floor with your leveraging, that's not the same as locking up his spine and moving his weight toward the heels so he can't step. That's completely different, mm -hmm. right? But the first four that I named do exactly that. And then there's, you know, a set for the front. There's So thinking about these things this way is... It's kind of like when, when Hudson would say, writes something in a book and then, you know, juxtapositions kanji or, mm. or brings in something else. And the word is, it's pronounced exactly the same, but the concept is different. And he says, I want you to think about these things. You know, you're nodding, I'm nodding, right? But how many people actually give that any kind of thought whatsoever, right? They just go on, oh, that's neat. About 2.2 <laughs> seconds and then they're on to the next thing and then they extol how wonderful the book was. And really? Seriously? <laughs> Shut the hell up. <laughs> anyway, I've run off. I've run off the cliff again. And and then we will run into our third topic in this episode, and that has to do with karma. And and I see this on bumper stickers and Facebook pages. Yeah, karma's a bitch, you know, or it's going to get you, and it all comes back around, kind yeah. of thing. And and it's my favorite is my karma ran over your dogma. <laughs> <laughs> But it seems so often that people's the, the kind of I guess everyday lexicon use of oh, yeah. karma is just drastically like warrior different. enlightenment, right? It's the same crap, yeah. you know. Or now everything is ninja, like all the teenagers, right? Oh, that oh, was sure. so ninja! Yeah, yeah. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're gonna hit all of that in this episode of Kuden, and as always, you can on the latest training opportunities like camps, seminars, access special online training, warrior-concepts-online.com. That's the website. Be sure to check that out. 
How would you like to learn secrets most martial arts black belts don't know about real-world self-defense? Of course you would, and Shidoshi Miller is offering them to you for free. Take advantage of this amazing opportunity by logging on to warrior-concepts-online.com right now and sign up for Shidoshi Miller's free newsletter, and you'll receive the free ebook. Fight smarter, not harder. You'll get critical lessons for being more safe, secure, and prepared. Tips for overcoming the victim mentality and 19 principles you must know for surviving a real-world street attack. It's free and easy to sign up, so do it right now. Warrior-concepts-online.com. Fight smarter, not harder. What you need to know about surviving a real-world street attack. Welcome back to this episode of Kuden. It's uh, Eric White and Shidoshi Jeffrey Miller, and we thank you for joining us on this episode. We're into the segment now on home defense tactics, thinking about maybe some things uh, that you can do uh, to set up or be prepared in your own home for something like uh, a home invasion or or something of that nature. Sure. And this kind of rolls well into uh, a DVD that you did Danger Prevention Tactics, which has a lot of things, not just home defense, but um, things from uh, driving in a car. Yeah, public uh, transportation. Right. What if there's an so much in that. Plane crash, train crash, whatever. Uh, at an ATM. Uh, how to teach your kids, you know, doing the right things. Parking lots, parking garages. Yeah. Um, I was actually approached about that uh, post 9-11. I mean, like right afterwards. Sure. Uh, some uh, video production company contacted me. Uh, to see if we could put together something for the average individual that didn't involve like self-defense, hand-to-hand kind of stuff, but you know, involved the self-defense side of things where you can prevent things or escape from it. So, in the context of those five Ds that we're always talking about, or mm-hmm. the, the, I'm sorry, the six phases of uh, self-defense strategy, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, phase what is it? Six is actually physically defending yourself, right? So, and that's what most people think of when they think of self-defense, right? The fighting side of things, right? But, you know, this, those, the other five, general awareness, situational awareness, escaping to safety, dissuasion, distraction, those kind of things, right? So, Danger Prevention Tactics DVD actually goes into the first three, right, uh, aspects of things. So, the general awareness, situational awareness, and escaping to safety, uh, which is really cool. And there's even escaping from buildings and all that because, you know, what was on everybody's mind was, you know, how to get out of one of these buildings that are going to collapse, you know, because a airplane flew into it or whether, you know, it's burning building or whatever, you know. So anyway, uh, yeah, so there's a lot more into it in, in, in than, than just that. Uh, and it was really designed for the folks that, that uh, really didn't know. But again, you know, I know that there's people listening to this and as I go through this list of things, they'll be nodding, you know, kind of like the horse in the, in the stable, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? They'll be nodding in agreement. Yeah, yeah, I know that, know that, know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how often do you practice that or how often are you willing to put that on hold? Right. Because, um, you know, just for instance, I, I, I know of a, a police officer. Uh, she was a police officer in Texas. Right. Always carried her uh, her handgun concealed. Always. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, one time she took her parents out to dinner, like a fast food restaurant kind of thing, right? And, you know, I'm out with mom and dad, and, you know, so leave the gun in the car kind of thing, right? Yeah, they were in eating, and two jack wagons came in to uh, shoot up the place. Wow. And dad, who was a uh, combat vet, charged them during a reload, but the reload was finished before 
He got there, mm. shot him. He went down. Mom instinctively ran to him, and while she was cradling his head in her arms, gunman shot her, and the daughter, the cop, right, um, just got out. Right. I mean, she, but her her thought to her dying days is, you know, the day I needed the training and the day I needed to fulfill the commitment I made to myself when I began training, the day I put that on hold, my parents died right in front of me. Wow. Right. So I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And hopefully if you're listening to the sound of my voice, you wouldn't wish this on yourself either. Yeah. Right. So stop nodding. Stop. Just stop. Okay. Stop letting ego dominate your 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 training, your actions, and those kind of things. Because knowing something is very, very different than taking action on it. Action on it all the time. We live in a very safe area. I mean, I get here where the station is. Uh, there's more crime and stuff like that than where I live. Right. Yeah. There um, was uh, from where we're at, one block over. There was a shooting a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's. Yeah, but I mean, in, in my area, I live in a semi-rural area, right? And, okay. Um, most people just, you know, they still leave their doors unlocked. They still leave their cars unlocked, that kind of right. stuff, right? Um, because it's the area, right? But not me. I mean, if somebody looks at me and says, did, did you lock the car? The look they get from me is, seriously, right? <laughs> but I've had people ask me, well, why, why do you bother to do that? Why, why do you, I mean, we live here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this is where I practice all the time because I don't, I'm not always here, right? Um, last month or a month and a half ago, I was in Texas. And uh, a couple of months before that, I was in Toronto. And I'm, you know, so I'm all over the place, right? And so what if I park my car in Toronto and I'm not in the habit of locking it all the time? And I forget that time. Now my car's gone. Well, see, that's why you have insurance. Now, see, I've got things in my car that are irreplaceable. I have some things in my car that I don't want them to fall into the wrong hands because they're there for my personal defense. Well, you know, the guy who takes the car also takes that. And then what if he uses that for Satan? See, this is mm-hmm. about a moral, ethical mm-hmm. choice, right? So anyway, let's go back to home because I could talk about this stuff all day long, right? And it's, it's, it goes back to personal responsibility, right? Taking action, okay? And that's why our Mikio mind science is often, we often call it action meditation, right? Because it's very different than just sitting around and oming your life away, right? Uh, it's about being mindfully aware in the moment, not 2020 hindsight, not fantasy, thinking about the future. All those things are used as tools, but what what matters is what's going on in the moment, right? So I'm going to be saying some things and a lot of these things about home defense. People are going to be thinking about, you know, and they're, they're, oh, pfft, heard that for years, right? Read that in that book and, and they're going to be nodding. And again, there's that pfft, <laughs> kind of thing going on. But are you really doing this? Seriously, Right. Got a gun for home defense. Really? Is it a self-defense handgun? Well, yes, of course. And in all my, you know, my combat handgun courses, you've been to at least one of these things, right? Mm -hmm. Right? First question I ask everybody, right? How many of you have uh, a firearm handgun for home defense or for self-defense? And all these hands go up. Really? Okay. So keep your hands up as I go through this list of prerequisites for a defensive handgun. Okay. If you drop off at any point, hand has to go down, right? So it has minimum safety features, right? Because you should be the only primary safety. Glocks, combat glocks, you're it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're the safety, right? Um, it's loaded, okay? 
it's within reach. Okay, so here's here's the point, right? The gun's not in one part of the house. The ammunition's in another part of the house, and the key to the gun safe or the gun lock is somewhere else, right? So when you wake up at one a.m. and you're all groggy and stuff, right? <laughs> uh, but you know, then well, yeah, but see, we've got kids in the house, we to be right, and that's why you teach your children gun safety, and that's why the weapon is in a place that you can find it, but. They're going to have to have a search warrant to, to find it in your house or to find it or to even think about where you might have it because it's, you know, I mean, when my kids were little, the, the weapon was up high enough that they couldn't even see it from where they were and they couldn't climb on the thing to get it because mm. that that just it wasn't built for that kind of thing. Right. Mm. So it was just and then I had, you know, plants or whatever around. So there was just it, it didn't look mm feasible it did you know but at eye level or slightly above eye level and then I, you know family members come in and go, <gasps> get a gun in the house with the child and yeah well she can get to that i'm making some money because she's got super skills right <laughs> and then as they you know get older and stuff the weapon gets moved somewhere else or oh not at, or and or they're also taught gun safety you know in the last session i talked about my daughter trinity right learning yeah. certain things and stuff so absolutely so um, for those of who thought about guns first, when we thought about home defense, um, I got that out of the way. So gun defense <laughs> is out of the way, okay? Uh, but think about, uh, you know, certain things. I mean, if you, if obviously all this stuff is in danger prevention tactics, and I'm not quoting off of a, of a list, right? I mean, Eric gives me an outline, and I'm the trained monkey that yeah. just kind of answers the questions, right? <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, you know, if you start from outside the house, okay, thinking about somebody breaking in, right, mm-hmm. assuming that you do everything right, right, think about the way they break in. Here's something I want to give you to do to think about your home defense and to think about pr- how to prioritize what you do and how you do it, okay, because of the way the bad guy will try to get in, right, okay? So if you were to take a picture of your house, right, we're going to divide this into three levels, Right. Okay. And if you if you've been training in in Ninja Two or Japanese martial arts or whatever, uh, there are these kanji, right? This this uh, old kanji or the one used for the the tatsujin, right? Mm. It's not the kanji for tatsujin, but um, it's this kanji for old king, queen, ruler, that kind of thing, right? So um, if you draw a line, just like maybe at the at the bottom part of a paper, and then you draw a vertical line down to that. So you have this upside down T mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? And then cap off the T, right? So now you have this big giant capital I, and then make a small stroke in the middle, right? Bisecting that vertical line, right? And then there's this other stroke on there that doesn't really matter. But here's this thing, right? Okay. And we could do this thing as a lesson some other time for Tenchi gene and things like that. But for right now, right? Um, if you were to superimpose that over your house, but here's here's the thing, right? Anything at ground level or at the level of someone's normal walking. Okay, so if they have to walk up onto your porch, mm. then the front door is at ground level. It's just not at physical, literal ground level. Right, like that? sure. Okay, so don't forget the basement windows. Yeah. Don't forget the Wayne's doors or whatever they're called, right, to, that access the basement and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Back, back door, that kind of thing, right? So the, the, the uh, low level, right, that first level, the base level, is anything that's accessible from the ground, okay? Mm-hmm. They don't need to work at it. It's right there, okay? They can crouch or they can just walk in, mm. okay? 
mid-level is anything that they can access without the need of a ladder or tool. So uh, some first floor windows, depending. I mean, if they have to, like, reach up just to get their hands on the sill and they're almost at arm extension, probably not, yeah. right? But for most houses, right, there's some flexion in the arms and stuff, and they can just kind of hoist yeah. themselves up a little bit, right, and get in there, right? Um, so that would be a mid-level threat or mid-level section of your house, right? Mm-hmm. Not mid-level threat, mid-level section. And then high level is anything that they need, you know, uh, they'd have to scale a tree next to the house to get to that second story window or even first floor windows, but it's a little higher. Um, some people have a bathroom on the first floor, but that window is above head sometimes level. Sometimes it's, it's above yeah. head level already, right. you know, that kind of thing, right? So you have this low, middle, and high, okay? So th- that matches the kanji, right? If you wrote high uh, at the top line and mid at the mid line and low at the low end, right? Now you have the levels of the house, mm-hmm. right? For accessibility, right? But if you invert that, okay, so now write high at the low part, mid is still mid, and low is at the high part. Now you have your threat levels, right? So they're going to come in at ground level. Next step is mid level. And then, you know, so you can literally, literally work from the ground or the porch level up. As you're building your 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 home defense uh, fortress, or you know, however mm-hmm. you want to think about that, right? Okay. So I mean, this goes along with the lessons that you know were passed on to Hatsumi Sensei about building fortifications. Uh, not necessarily just a compound, but how do you fortify a house without turning it into a prison for the occupants, right? So anyway, there's there's this kind of thing, right? And of course, you can you can get things uh, from low cost things from Radio Shack that are just contact switches running to a central box, or you can just get. I mean, you can go to the dollar store, or some of these places anymore, and just get battery operated um, motion sensors that you put on a door or a window or whatever that if it's moved, it goes off, right? So um, that that's just that's a that's a good step, right? Uh, and then other things like you know stop putting the damn extra key in case you lock yourself out of the house, right? Um, stop putting it in the flower pot or under the mat or whatever. Um, most bad guys look there first, right? Because they know that most people do that, right? Um, uh, you know, if, if you think that might happen or whatever, then give a key to a neighbor or you know somebody trusted or keep it in your car or mm. something like that, right? So that it's not... It's not, you know, for the public. Well, you know, but the babysitter might come over, or might have my aunt come and water my flowers, and then give them a damn key. Right. Right. <laughs> Don't put it in the flower pot. Right. Uh, you can do let the salesman in. Uh, he's knocking on. Just, just wait for me for ten minutes, and you know, I'll be there. Right. <laughs> um, so you know, people nod about that stuff, but uh, also when you're when you're looking at things, um, uh, look at the hedges and, and things that are near the the windows and anything that would give cover. Okay. Um, believe it or not. Most people wouldn't believe this, right? Because we think of uh, burglaries happening at night because it's dark and all that, right? Typically, the only time uh, in the U.S., right, and uh, Canada is different, right, because we have this thing called hot burglaries, hmm. where and hot burglary is uh, the occupants are at home, the residents are at home when the burglary takes place, right, and they come in and force themselves, and in which case it's not burglary, it's robbery. Hmm. Okay, I've been robbed. Uh, were you home? No, it was a robbery. Okay, robbery is theft with force or threat of force, okay? Burglary is entering a building unlawfully to do something else, mm. theft or whatever, okay? That fixes that whole thing. Anyway, <laughs> I've been robbed. No, you haven't. Um, uh, hot burglaries 
typically, and they don't occur as much in the U.S., right? Um, I think it's less than, less than 17%, something like that, in the U.S., uh, hot burglaries. Right? Mm. In Canada, lots of gun control and all that, right? Hot burglaries account for over 70% of burglaries. Wow. Right? Um, because they know the residents aren't armed, Right. If you ask, and and they've done this, they've done interviews with with burglars and robbers and things like that in in prisons here. You know, um, why don't you go in when the occupants are home? And the answer is, are you freaking nuts? That's how you get shot, right? <laughs> so anyway, but what I was what I was getting to is night burglaries in the U.S. typically only occur, uh, especially in like nice residential areas, right? Mm-hmm. When there's a home football team or a home football game. Hmm. Nobody's and home. everybody, nobody's <laughs> home. Everybody's off, you know, to watch the game sure. or whatever. There's a big parade or something like that, right? That's when that kind of stuff goes on, right? Most burglaries in the U.S. occur during daylight, nine to five work hours, because that's when most people, including your neighbors, aren't home, mm-hmm. and therein lies the reason why the burglar would need to use the cover of shrubbery or whatever, just in case there might be somebody mm-hmm. at home, the mailman walking by, whatever. Right. So you want to clip those things back. You want to make sure that it's very difficult for somebody to hide in there. Now, that being said, no matter what you do, if somebody really wants in, I truly believe that it is absolutely possible for anybody to get anywhere unless, you know, you have automatic machine guns that just shoot them or claymores that go off as soon as whatever, you know, you get the idea. Right. But again, then you're a prisoner and thinking from the context of a ninja from the classical sense, there's always a way in. Mm-hmm. Okay. With enough study and enough work, there's always a way in. So as a part of your home defense system or a home defense planning, there should be things in place to identify the criminals or to make the police, the, the job of the police easier. So mm-hmm. keep the, if you have flower beds or shrubbery or whatever, right? Don't just let them die out and the ground get all hard and stuff because it's very difficult to get footprints and, and things like that that way, right? Mm-hmm. So, Make sure that the, the you know gardening is done. The mulch is kept up and all that, and it leaves beautiful footprints. Um, the the compression and the depth of the print in that kind of material, forensic people can tell uh, weight. They can tell, of course, the, probably uh, the the guy's build and uh, mm. height and all that because of shoe size, right? Because the size, the length of our feet from edge of heel to tip of toes fits in your forearm from the crook of your elbow to the wrist hand connection. Did you know that? Okay. So we work on that in class, right? That's, yeah. That's one of those things that if you want to know where the guy's foot is, don't look down because he'll punch you in the face or you know hit you some other way. Just look at his forearm and then use that measurement, two-thirds of that, from wherever you see his kneecap shin and you know where his foot has to be, right? So we, we're constantly pinning people's feet down and stuff like that. How do you know where his feet are without looking down? I don't have to look down. His forearms are right there. Okay, and it's just an, um, one of these things, right? But it's amazing what forensic what forensics can do these days. All they have to do is calculate some science and all that, and mm-hmm. and check these things out, right? So make it easier for uh, the police if it's successful, right? Um, there are things that uh, you know you can you can get in uh, police supply stores that are uh, they're available to anybody, and if you can't get them there, order them through Spencer's or something like that. Um, uh, in, uh, ultraviolet uh, detection sprays. It's like a powder. Oh, yeah. And it's invisible, right? Okay. And you can spray it on your, um, uh, 
You can spray it on your uh, valuables or, you know, whatever. Nobody can see it. You can spray it on your stereo system or your TV or whatever. And I don't mean like all over, just in a couple of places, right? Mm-hmm. Generally where the handheld handholds would go and stuff like that, right? And this stuff, once it's on the human body, will stay for a couple of days to a week, depending on how often this guy bathes or showers or whatever, right? Same thing with uh, you can get these crayons that are infra, uh, ultraviolet uh, things, right? Hmm. And you can, you know, inscribe little things or whatever on there. And, I mean, you can look really close and see that maybe somebody wrote on it with a crayon, but it's it's invisible anyway, but you can see maybe the wax trail, right? right? But if they don't know this there, all it takes is a black light to light up the thing that you wrote, right, to know that it's yours, or to light up their hands or their clothing or whatever because it just gets all over them, right? <laughs> and then it stays. Yeah. Cool stuff, right? right? So there are these little things that very ninja-like, right? You could hide the detection of things and instead of putting it on with a label, right, this belongs to Joe, and then they just peel that little plastic strip off and, nope, belongs to me because possession is nine-tenths of the law, right? Uh, but th- things like that, right? Um, I'm a big advocate of keeping... Uh, even non-firearm weapons uh, within reach. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of problems just occur at the portals to the house, right? I mean, even if you're home and somebody wants to force their way in. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we have these bow shirtigan, which are just these pointed spikes, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I'm not going to tell you. Well, I'll tell you where I've had them in different houses depending on where I live. I'm not going to tell you where they are now, okay? But things like that... Uh, have been kept uh, above a um, a door frame, right? Just on the molding kind just of on, thing. Just yeah. on the molding mm-hmm. there, right? Out of sight, out of mind. Kids can't see it. But, you know, somebody tells me to, you know, they hold up a gun, they're not going to think anything twice of me sticking my hands up in the air, right? <laughs> oh, crap, shit, it's a holdup, right? And now my fingertips are up there to be able to catch this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um a blade or something in a seat cushion in case I'm, you know, forced to sit. Now, if I open the door and they shoot me or they shoot me through the door or whatever, you know, uh, it's all over, right? Mm. But I'm, I, I think about these different things. So when I watch the news or how somebody was held up or uh, movies, because a lot of the criminals get their ideas from watching, mm-hmm. you know, movies or CSI or, or whatever, right? Just right. Like we think, wow, cops are catching these guys. And yeah. meanwhile, there's a criminal thinking. That's a good freaking idea. Yeah. If I just don't make that mistake, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm good. Yeah, and you know they're getting away with a lot because there's only a 17% conviction rate in this country. So, wow. Yeah. Well, it is what it is, right? So, if I'm forced to sit down, there's a you know blade in a cushion or between the mattress and the box spring, or you know, so just like when students in class. You know, when they're my uke and we do something and they go to try to escape and they just escape right into a completely different technique and it just always works in my favor. And right then the words coming out of their mouth are, God, it's it's always something, right? I want the bad guy to feel the same way. If he comes into my house, there's no place in my friggin' house, sitting, standing, lying or whatever, that I'm not pretty close to something. I want him Mm. On the way to jail, going, son of a bitch, there was always something. He always had something, right? Now just, yeah. just fucking shoot me. <laughs> just, <laughs> I just told people how to handle that situation, right? But then that's why we have the training above fifth on where there's that perception of danger and all that. So get really good. I mean, there's lots of other things that go along with home defense or defense any other place that are going to seem odd. Because we're not going to talk about your home. We're going to talk about you. 
learning to read facial micro expressions and body language and recognize tonal inflection and how a couple of these things together almost always 70% or better probability point to somebody being in a certain emotional state or whatever. Okay. So instead of just going, Oh no, the guy may be, you know, he's kind of suspicious and okay. What, but what did that suspicion mean? Were they just incongruent and they're just a habitual liar or is he projecting things? Or like above fifth on where we're recognizing the intent to attack, mm. right? Long before their body goes into motion. So that's all part of not just home defense, defense anywhere, right? Yeah. And don't forget to make, to make your family a team in this entire effort, right? So the kids aren't out blabbing about where these things are. Yeah, my dad's a ninja. He's got a gun and whatever. If somebody wanted to hurt you or hurt your family, they've got the whole plan. They, they mm-hmm. know to just come in guns blazing and take what they want. Right. right? Or they're unprepared and they're relying on you as the only one that's who, right. and you're not that's home. Right. That's right. I mean, how many times we hear that from women or teenage boys, girls, doesn't really matter. You know, mm-hmm. uh, my dad's a black belt. That's his job. Really, how often is dad home with you? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I don't know, an hour or two? Great, fantastic. What do you do the other 22, 23 hours out of a day? Uh, <laughs> well, that's, that's never going to happen to me anyway. Fantastic. Wow. Sometimes when people tell me that, I get the urge to just punch them. <laughs> Not like yeah. in, a, in a debilitating way, but just to go, oh, wrong. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And I didn't mean to hurt mm-hmm. you. Okay, but yeah, see, you're you're not in the right place. So again, this this has to do with not just thinking about the obvious, the house key and keeping the doors locked and and things like that. But you know, yes, you have a weapon, but where do you keep them? Where might you be? Where might you be standing? Right? Somebody breaks in your front door and you get the opportunity to run. Run to the kitchen. Why the kitchen? Well, I could make myself a sandwich or make him a sandwich. <laughs> no, you've got at least 10 knives in the kitchen, and they're all legal. Right? And if your wife's a baker like mine is, I got freaking rolling pins. I got a kitchen aid I can nail them with, you know, whatever, right? <laughs> but, I mean, you've got, you've got all this stuff, right? Uh-huh. But it'd be nice to have a plan before, and not just a vague plan. Somebody breaks into my house, I'll X, Y, Z. How might they break in? What weapons might they have? How many might there be? What might the scenario be? There's multiple. So come up with them, plan ahead, and then create your you know, the inside of your house. Like a, I think James Bond, think MacGyver, you know, so that you're already three steps ahead because you've already thought these things out. And the chance of somebody breaking in and doing something that you haven't thought of is really diminished, right? If you follow the news and, and hear how a break-in occurred and what they did and whatever, instead of thinking, oh, do that to me, whatever, right? Or, man, I don't know what I would do. No, they just they just laid out a scenario for you. You didn't even have to think about that one. Sure. Now, yeah. Use that. process that. And if you don't know the answers, you contact like somebody like me or you or anybody that has the background, the experience, and the knowledge, hmm. and you learn and you put together a program. Absolutely. 
And this is just uh, the this tip is, of the iceberg. This and, and this is why you really want to check check for that uh, DVD, Danger Prevention Tactics. Hits on this and many other scenarios that uh, uh, people find themselves in all the time when oh, you're in the news. Absolutely. So uh, best be prepared for it. Look for that, uh, again, on the website, warrior-concepts-online.com. Coming up, we'll start our, our little series here with the Godai and talking about the different elements and, and how those are worked into training. We'll start with... G, Earth. Sure. So, you want to train with Shidoshi Miller, but you're far from Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller is making it easy for you to get the powerful lessons of ninja training, self-defense, and personal development wherever you are. Join Shidoshi Miller's fast-growing group of online students. Break free of the limited free articles that can only scratch the surface of true ninja training using the power of the Internet. Be a part of live online training seminars and take advantage of Shidoshi Miller's video series like the 12 DVD series, Advanced Sanshin and Kyanapo Home Study Course. Learn more about online training, accessing video training series, and even how you can bring Shidoshi Miller to you by logging on to warrior-concepts-online.com. Welcome back to Kuden, and uh, we are now on to the, the subject, which will hopefully carry through the, the next few episodes about the Godai and how it relates to training and stepping through these different elements and in in your school and where I started and I think kind of the order I know you've described how sometimes these things change from the progressions depending on how they're being talked about Don't but dig the whole thing <laughs> we only have so long well, I hope for this segment <laughs> but we start we start on uh chi or earth and so I want to talk about that yes, as the foundation and, and how that relates to uh, a, just a beginner student, kind of wet people's whistle a little bit when it comes to training and this idea of the elements. Oh, uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. So Godai, uh, probably be a good idea if you're not familiar with this thing to identify it. Godai just means five, it literally means five great, right? But it applies or uh, points to these elements or elemental manifestations. The Godai is a, is a, cataloging of it's an ancient way of looking at how energy manifests in the world different than the gogyo five elements different set of five right but that's how energy transforms or or transitions from one state to another much like water liquid solid gaseous depending on external mm -hmm. elements that kind of thing mm -hmm. right these different uh, states but there's this transition how energy moves or like the like the seasons Right, spring becomes summer. There's no dividing day. Right, there's kind of a melting, kind of rise and fall. Yeah, right or there. you can look at the way a, a plant grows, kind of thing. Right, the mm. the seed sprouts, but then you know there's no defining day when the when the flower blooms. We can see when the bud pops open, mm -hmm. but there's still this growing expansion of the flower, and mm. and then it begins to dry and wither until finally it's back into the ground. Whatever, right? So anyway, but the Godai, these five uh, elements that comes from uh, Mikyo, comes from this Buddhist training, um, to kind of, uh, you can classify lots of things. Um, one way to look at this is to look at like a, a file cabinet with five drawers. Mm -hmm. uh, so each drawer would be named after one of these elements. And then inside the drawer, you would have file folders that would be, you know, one would be how you identify examples of the element, right? Mm -hmm. uh, rocks or mountains or whatever. Um, another one might be mindset. Another one might be emotions. Another one might be uh, training weapons. Another one might be strategy. Another one, you get the idea. Mm -hmm. right? now, you know how this works, right? 
And actually, it's uh, we start with the Godai, but if you stick around long enough and train, and you get into the Mikyo training, then there's what's known as the Rokudai, the six Ooh. great elements, and the sixth element is Chito, or mind, right? So uh, there's a whole other way of looking at that. So let's not keep digging this. <laughs> okay, so Earth, or this Chi, right? Um, uh, it's very different. See, in, in the Gogyo, Earth, Earth is there as well, but that's called Do. Hmm. Okay, so chi and dol, right? So there's even the way hmm. you look at it, right? One is a thing, one is an essential nature. Hmm. Okay, like in uh, we're using old Chinese, right? And the Japanese way of pronouncing old Chinese, uh, sui is water, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't go to Japan and order a cup of sui because hmm. they look mizu. at you like you were freaking retarded, right? Right, right. Mizu, right? Which is water, right? So mizu is this thing. But C is this essential nature of water or water likeness, or uh-huh. you can describe and, and think about water, uh-huh. but water is still just another example of this nature, liquid, fluid, yeah. right? Blood huh. is still C kind of thing, right? Hmm. Uh, even though you, you have a different name for blood, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is... Chi, by the way, right? <laughs> Chidome blood stop is a is a pressure point on the back of the neck, hmm. either alleviating a headache or causing somebody a major world of hurt. Anyway, so chi, this earth idea, um, what we're looking at are things that are in a solid, stable, uh, almost immovable. Nothing is really immovable, right? But solid, uh, uh, firm immovable state. So in the body, we're looking at obviously the bones, the tissues, those hard, uh, solid parts of ourselves, right? So even the tissues, right? Mm. Um, not, not just hard, hard, but solid, right? A chair or a desk or whatever. Okay. Um, in our mind, she is represented, uh, through our state of confidence and okay? our surety of self or that, that, which we know and whatever, okay? It's just confidence, okay? Uh, even even about things you don't know, right? Like fixing a car. I'm confident that I don't know how to fix a car, <laughs> right? Now, that doesn't make me feel bad because that would be related to self-esteem, mm. okay? Self-esteem, this is a whole other thing, right? Self-esteem has to do with value mm. or having a sense of value. So I'd be like, oh, I just, I'm a bad person because I don't know how to fix a car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, that's low self-esteem, right? right. So you can have um, uh, high self-esteem but low confidence in mm. a certain area. Like if I were talking to a nuclear physicist, I'm not going to open my mouth because right? <laughs> yeah. I just – there's nothing to say, right? Uh-huh. So there's a low sense of confidence in that realm. So, But I can have a high level of self-esteem, and my self-esteem is not affected – by knowing or not knowing something, mm. right? But it's almost impossible to have a low sense of self-esteem and high confidence in any area. If you if you think you have a high level of confidence, that's delusion. Mm. Because all I have to do is say the right thing or do the right thing in your presence, and that house of cards will come crumbling down, right? We'll see what your confidence level really is. It's impossible. It's impossible to have a high level of confidence because your val- your sense of self value is off. So how can you be confident in anything when you're not confident in yourself? Right. Right. So 
But value is an aspect of this earth element as well. And we'd have to look at the mandala to do that. But I'm going to stay away from that for the moment because we'll come back to our training. Um, so confidence is psychological, right? And then uh, our intention or our, our resolve to do something, mm-hmm. okay? Not necessarily commitment, right? But there's this sense, again, of surety. This will be so. Almost like a, a ruler taking on, pouring some wax on a document and putting that seal on there, that stamp, right? Right? That thing is not law or any, it has no validity or whatever, even in today's world, right? Mm-hmm. Until that seal goes on there, it's, it's, or the judge signs it or whatever, it's not, it's nothing but paper with writing on it, right? right? So there's that sense of resolve, right? Um, my question to, to most students is, you know, w- what are you doing in training? Are you just coming because it's a neat little pastime or it's a hobby or whatever? Or have you firmly set your resolve to the point that you will master this ability? And I don't mean mastering Ninpo Taijutsu or mastering Sagan or whatever, but mastering this realm of self-protection, survival, uh, whatever. Whatever this thing is that you're focusing on, have you resolved to do this, right? That it is... It's it's an inevitability. It's you know it's not something that's up for debate. It's not something that causes wavering. It's not something that requires somebody else's approval or permission or whatever. It's just no, this is to not do this is not a possibility. That kind of thing, right? So there's right. this earth nature, right? Okay, in nature, you know, it's rocks and mountains and all that, right? Um, but see, just like with rocks and mountains being examples in nature of the earth element because they're incapable of change through their own volition. They are what they are, mm-hmm. just like our resolve. I've decided this is so. This is, But it's not like I decided psychologically and I'll decide something else tomorrow. I feel it in my bones. Right. I am destined to do this thing. You know any emails I get from people that just feel destined to become a ninja and all that, but in the next sentence, they tell me all the reasons why they can't, and they're expecting <laughs> me to just give them everything? Hmm. No, then you don't feel it in your bones, okay? You fantasize about it, and you want it. That's desire. Mm-hmm. That's not resolve. That's not... That's not... Here, here's, here's an example. I have always been drawn to the martial arts, and I've always been drawn to this art. First time I opened a book and I saw the two ma- the dual mandala, right? I just had to know more. And I've never been able to explain why. There's just been this allure. There's just been this draw to it. Never fantasized about being the superhero in the costume or anything like that. There was just this, it was almost like a need to return home, that kind of feeling but how do you how do you describe where that came from or whatever? Mm-hmm. But all these things were foreign and alien to me, right? I know I never saw it before, but still there was this gnawing feeling in the back of my mind or in my being that I should know what this is. Mm. Not egoistic, I should know what this is, or I will come across as being stupid if I don't. Mm. No, it's there's that. It's all almost like somebody having somebody's name on the tip of your tongue. Mm. I should, I should know what that is. I know what... Mm. It's that kind of thing, right? Yeah. That's where resolve lives, huh. right? When you commit to something and know in your, in your heart of hearts, know in your bones that there is no way in hell that this will not happen 
unless I'm dead. Okay, it's that kind of resolve. Okay, so rocks and mountains are capable of change, but it's really the world around them that changes. They get wet when it rains. They move relative to position. An animal or a human kicks it, and it moves to a different position. Another part of it is up, and mm. right, it's whichever part of it is warmest or whatever is dependent upon the sun's position in the sky. And you get the idea, right? Yeah. Okay. But the the uh, the rock or the mountain itself isn't affected by the world around it. It continues to be what it is. Okay, so that is a part of our resolve as well. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not a complacency. I am who I am, and you like it or not, or whatever. But there's two parts to this, right? Getting to recognize who I am, and that's a part of the process, right? But it's that part of the process is is these other elements or the training, kind of brushing away, like finding a fossil in the ground, right, and brushing away the stones and the muck and the and the dirt that's that's stuck to it to uncover the shape and the nature of this bone and what animal it came from and all that, right? So that's part of what we're doing with ourselves when it comes to training, self-reflection training, self-defense training, whatever, right? We're brushing away things and trying to get the core to the core essential nature of me, mm. okay? Because then I find this value and I find my, what we could call our earth nature. Now, we have a water nature, wind nature, right? But I'm finding this core me. The thing that I mean when I use the word I or the word me. Because hmm. most people have no idea what that is. They use it because it's part of the language and it's identifying this vague thing, but they know more about how their car works than the way they work. Right? But I want to f- find these things, right? Uh, it's kind of part of that one program I put out, Discovering Your Life Purpose. Right? There's this whole process for uncovering Right, you already came into the world with these certain attractions and proclivities, and you know, whatever. Not habits that you developed, not things that you picked up from other people. But why were you attracted to? Why was I attracted to these things? They certainly weren't a part of my world when I was growing up. They were completely alien. Now, am I attracted to it because it's different? No, because I go and look for different things and all that, and they just don't do the same things. Right, but either way. This is nature. And that kind of brings us around to the training side of things, right? So module one, we focus on this earth idea because people come in the door as they are, Mm. right? So we're going to be training them in how to do Sagan or an Onikudaki or whatever, right? But they have a certain type of balance or coordination or whatever. So the techniques that we teach them are pretty much self-working. Do this and this will happen. You don't have to be an expert at Taijutsu for this to work or whatever. So we take them as they are, kind of like the sculptor bringing the rock in, and we're going to recognize something that's in there and hidden away, and then we're going to chip away until it comes out, right? Um, But there's also the sense of value. So the belt colors at Module 1, with the exception of a white belt, which is where everybody starts, right, focuses on this color of yellow, and we, we don't get bright canary yellow, right? We have this goldish yellow mm-hmm. kind of color, right? And that's the color of uh, the earth realm in 
on the mandala, right? Mm-hmm. Because it represents gold in the sense of value, motivation, inspiration, that kind of thing, right? So we start off kind of like a a rock, right? And we're going to uncover this diamond. So the training and everything is, is the work necessary to kind of chip it away. And then once it's uncovered, what do we do with it, right? Well, just like the flag of your country or these other uh, people or whatever, right? They're, they serve as motivation. They serve as inspiration. They serve as, right? So we strive to become that as well, right? But if, if we start out by striving to be somebody that other people appreciate, so that's an egoistic kind of drive thing, right? But what we find is that the process of uncovering it, we just naturally become this thing that we always were anyway, um, call it destiny, call it whatever you want. I'm going to get into that because we're going to talk about karma later. But um, what kind of questions do you think people might have, or what what, what have I said that uh, might I, help I, with? I'm thinking, I'm thinking from because people get all caught up in you know there being earth techniques and water techniques, yeah. and there are things that we teach at different levels that people can confuse with. Oh, this is an earth technique. This is a water technique. No, there's there's qualities that make something earth like, which mm-hmm. I went into. Right? Um, there's this up down body motion because you're being very weighted when you do things, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to the side to side motion of water or the front back motion of fire or whatever, right? Um, but there really is no such thing as an earth technique or a water technique or whatever. There are these qualities that make something like confidence or resolve or heavy weightedness or uh, being in control or being in a position of authority or just positioning in and of itself, mm. right, is an earth quality. Those kind of things, right? So these qualities, principles, concepts that could be cataloged and put in the earth drawer, right, that make a technique have a feel or a sense of earth-likeness, but they're still wind going on because we're still evading his punches. There's still water going on because we're still flowing and responding to what he's doing and using timing and rhythm. And there's still fire going on because there's still this direct, you know, when, when the opportunity arises, there's this direct strike or whatever that's going on, or we catch the technique. So all these things are going on, but there might be this overriding feel. Hmm. Now I'm a police officer. So, mm-hmm. you know, just through my very position of authority, I'm not going to be jumping around doing Taekwondo kicks. I'm going to be, you know, bringing my hand up, kind of palm out away from my chest saying, calm down, hold it, you know, that kind of thing, right? There's certain uh, aspects of our language, just telling somebody, you know, stop, Mm -hmm. you know, this isn't going to happen, right? That kind of thing, that that holding, walling up, controlling kind of thing. All these things are aspects of, of chi, and we, we can't cover all this, and that's why people need to come in for camps or whatever mm-hmm. so we can really dive into these things or get involved in the in the online coaching program where we can spend an hour and a half or two and a half hours or multiple classes going into this stuff really, really deeply. Or, you know, some people come in and do private training with me, and mm-hmm. we can really dive into this stuff, whether they come in physically to the dojo or they become a private training student online and we get on the phone and um, and becomes a part of a personal development kind of thing. But there's so many different aspects to this. So, But in any of these things, we can see that there's a physical aspect to something we could catalog as being Earth-like. Okay? There's a psychological aspect to it for we human beings. There's an emotional, spiritual kind of aspect to it. But there's also things in the world that, that represent this Earth quality. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when water 
water is always water, but it can be in a solid state. So it doesn't have to be literally earth or dirt to be solid, mm. right? So we can we can go through these different things, and we just have these different different parts of ourselves that be that could be classified this way. And by classifying it and using the mandala concept, the mandala it, man, the word mandala itself just means um, uh, means uh, like a border. Or an outline kind of thing, right? Mm. So kind of like a map. When you open up a map, it's only of a very specific area, right? right. It has a border to it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean there's nothing beyond it, but it allows you to focus in on a smaller mm-hmm. area, right? So by by doing that, by pulling up some of these things, right, by just saying, okay, I'm going to focus on those Earth-like qualities, right? Uh, I have a student who is very, very wind-like, very fiery, but I don't mean fiery and destructive. I mean just like kind of... Uh, very expressive, but also just very wind-like, not not very confrontational, that kind mm. of thing, right? And it was just, it was a floor mat for people at work. So mm. for a while, for months, we worked on this earth quality, and I gave him, I literally scripted things for him to say when people were making demands at work. And, you know, you raise a finger vertically as if to say, give me a minute, and then you look at them and say, is this an emergency? Well, then open your hand, palm out and say, I don't have time right now. Give me 30 minutes. Even if you do have time right now, you practice doing this thing. Mm -hmm. And not only was he reframing people around him, and but he was practicing to use these things that are in all of us, but for many of us, these things have no practice. Mm-hmm. We might have tried it when we were three, but we kept running into a wall, and therefore, to get things done in our world, we gravitated toward these other things, and then now we can't figure out why we're a doormat, or we can't figure out why you know we want to do things, but we can't take action, or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So um, this allows us to kind of put ourselves in a box, Right or put certain parts of ourselves in a box for observation, for clarity, for practice, mm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, hopefully that gives you guys a really kind of in-depth look at at the starting point for you know if you're coming to classes regularly, where we kind of start training. Was that vaguely specific enough? <laughs> it was, <laughs> and, and so you got you got a lot there to digest. But uh, you know, as you've said, another. Uh, ones that we've done or, or, or in talking about some of these things, go back and listen to this a few times. Oh, you can there's so much. Two or three and times. Absolutely. You'll pick out the different parts every time. So definitely uh, go back and listen to this segment again uh, as needed. But when we go forward into the next episode of Kudin, we'll we'll be moving into the next element of water. So we'll we'll dive into that. No pun intended. And then <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, in our next segment in this episode, we're going to talk about karma. This kind of came about from. Uh, in my day job, I you don't want me singing or deal with a, no. doing a boy George impersonation or something. Oh no, no, oh, I didn't yeah. even think about that. Yeah, um, I'm old. <laughs> I, just, I see, I deal a lot with Facebook and social media through my job, mm. and so I see a lot of things come up, and yeah. people kind of use it. It's become part of common vernacular to use the term karma. But I think back to my training, and I think. Uh, karma people use on a daily basis is totally different than what we talk about when training and in the dojo. And so I want to dive into that a little bit and, sure. and kind of well, during have the break, you that. Yeah, during the break, I want everybody to think about the fact that right now you are the end result in this moment, the end result of all karmic influences on you. 
but more specifically, the karmic influences you've allowed to affect you. We'll talk about that later, but I'm going to leave you with this. You are either exactly as you want to be, as you choose to be, or you are exactly as you've allowed yourself to become. Are you protecting your company's number one asset? Smart companies know they cannot afford to have one of their employees become a victim of violence on or off the job site. WCI, Warrior Concepts International, can provide highly sought-after self-defense training to your employees. Companies whose employees have less stress and feel more confident may experience less absenteeism and have a lower rate of turnover. Along with feeling like you're taking good care of your employees, your company may realize a very direct financial benefit from bringing in a WCI self-defense consultant. Talk with a WCI consultant today about creating a training seminar or program tailored specifically to your company's unique environment. Hospitals, schools, retail stores, no business is immune to workplace violence. This year, empower your employees with a workplace violence self-defense seminar or program from WCI. Learn more now at warrior-concepts-online.com. Welcome back to this episode of Kuden. We move into our final segment, and this has to do with karma. I come across people using that term all the time. I'm sure many of you listening do. You know, they say... Oh, karma's a bitch. Your karma's going to come back and get you. Or, or bad you know, karma. You, yeah, bad karma. Right. Ooh, yeah. So um, I think the way most people use it in common vocabulary is much different than the actual term and kind of where it grew out of and how we use it when training. So you think that's where I'd like <laughs> this segment to go and, and kind of have you speak on that in particular. Is it my turn now? Yes. Okay, awesome. Okay, well, you didn't do the right karma thing and actually ask a question. So you just told me anyway, sorry. Okay. So we'll do this. Okay. So karma, um, the word karma itself from Sanskrit. Okay. Uh, and you might actually see this if you actually, if you do research, you'll see it also in, uh, Pali as Kama, K A M M A, not to be confused with K A M A Kama from the Kama Sutra, which means love. Okay. That is in Mikyo aspects, but karma, comma, same thing, right? Uh, karma itself just means action, right? But it points to the law of cause and effect, okay? Um, because an action is just what it is. It's not, it's not good or bad, right? So we tend to look at things. People tend to see things that have a bad effect, and they, that's when they talk about karma, right? But how right. many times do people go, man, good karma, you're generating some good karma for yourself, right? I do. Yeah. But then yeah. people look at we me like, it, but... did I do something wrong? Are you, are you, are you joking? And yeah. No, that was a good karmic effect, right? Charity or love or compassion or whatever and extending it to others in a selfless way. It's good karma, right? In Mikyo, we tend to, we tend to use a different word. Um, so if we're talking about karma, it's either neutral or it could be negative in context. Uh, we differentiate the positive karma by saying, by calling it merit. Mm. Okay. But we have to be careful with that because if somebody is too egocentric, then merit becomes an accumulation of, uh, brownie points or whatever. It just, it starts to feed ego. Mm. And so I have to be careful with that. Right. So anyway, karma, uh, very different from what most people think it is, right? People think it's, uh, I've heard it, uh, used, to uh, define destiny, to define fate, right? To define uh, luck, 
right? Uh, I guess it just wasn't your karma, right? Right. Well, like it wasn't in your lot in life or whatever, right? Now, if karma or the law of cause and effect uh, was any of those things, I might point toward destiny, okay? Because once you've put karma into action, once you've started some karmic energy moving, that karma must play itself out, much like ringing a bell. Once you strike a bell, okay, that bell will ring for the length of time that that metal resonates from that impact. Mm -hmm. But the intensity, the duration, the tone, and all that are dependent upon the force that was applied, the material of the striker, right? Where on the bell it was struck. Wow. Okay, those kind of things, right? So it's not as simple as, you know... Bad I like karma. that analogy, though. I've never yeah, heard that bad, one. I just made it up. Bad karma. That's good. But that, that's thanks. That's good. Okay? I like that. Well, it's, this is not me ringing my bell, no pun intended, mm -hmm. but this is how you tell when somebody really knows the topic. Um, and this is not just about me. It's about any teacher, professor, instructor, coach, or whatever, right? If they're, const if they're constantly saying it like somebody else or everybody else or quoting from a book or whatever... They don't really know it. They've memorized material, and they're regurgitating it so they sound like they know, and that tends to be an egocentric perspective, mm. okay? They want to be the person in the know, or they want to be revered as much as that other person who really said it. <clears throat> it's okay. Or whatever, right? <laughs> bad karma, I know. No, not bad <laughs> karma. It just is what it is, right? If you're offended by it, good. If you weren't offended by it, you might be smiling, but either way, it was put out to wake somebody up. Okay, mm -hmm. it's the intent behind it that makes it good or bad. Okay, um, but uh, if they're if they're just using the same words all the time, then they're just reciting something. It's not that it's right or wrong; it's just that they don't have a full grasp on the subject. Okay? You know, somebody has a full grasp on the subject when they can approach it from many different perspectives use many different analogies, but they're saying the same thing. Okay? They're just communicating, and this is from the wind realm of the mandala, of uh, accomplishing action or skillful means, where they're speaking the listen of the listener. Right? So often I just come up, I just toss out a different analogy because it's if you collect these things around, maybe one won't work for you, but another one will or whatever. That's why we have many different lessons for the law, teaching the law of karma. We have the 12-fold chain of dependent origination. We have the teaching on karma. We have a whole bunch of these things, and but they're all teaching on karma, right? But some people are going to get one. Some people are going to get, okay. So anyway, again, not ringing my bell. It was just one of those things that it, was, it, it, it fits. So um, if you create an action... Karma must play itself out, like that ringing of the bell, okay? So the only way, you can never make that go away. You can never take it back. Kind of like, you know, you said hurtful words. Take it back. Okay, take it back. You didn't take it back. You just said other words that made somebody feel better, mm. but you've already put it out there, right? And the more often you put it out there, the harder it's going to be to, quote, unquote, take it back because you're increasing the 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 level of believability in other people that, no, you're just, you're that way, 
right? Mm-hmm. And you really do mean it. And yes, you're apologizing for it, but you're only apologizing because you're afraid of losing that person as a friend or significant other, or you're afraid of the consequences, or you're trying to, you know, mm. change things, but you, you can't take it back. There's, right. there's no taking it back. That's, but, it's funny how that fits into your analogy of a bell, though. And I think back to, um, like ringing of a gong or a bell that once it's resonating, you know, musicians will do this on cymbals. If you're getting that louder crashing building kind of thing, you want it already vibrating a little bit. Mm -hmm. You warm it up. So you put something out there, even if time goes by a little bit and that resonation's quieter, Mm -hmm. it's still kind of buzzing. And then it's struck again and it's louder and more intense than before. So we use that in training, right? When I tell people to not come to a complete stop in between moves because you have to, do something all over again. Hmm. But if you go into a state of hovering on the joints and things like that, going into motion requires less energy, And but the joints are already in motion. So all you're really doing is redirecting the motion and intensifying it. You're not starting cold. Right. Okay? Yeah. Um, but people can actually have the karmic effects of their training run their course. And you can tell because they'll start to forget things. They'll forget the names of things. Their body will go back to making the same mistakes a beginner makes or whatever. So they've been out of training way too long. Or they didn't have enough karmic juice to begin with, which means they didn't practice often enough. So they went to class, learned some things. Their body started to get into motion, but then they didn't go back to class again for another week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever. And now it's cold again. And progress takes longer. Right? They're not practicing at home. They're not. So they confuse class time with practice time. See? Bad karma. Right? Mm-hmm. It's bad karma. The, the karmic action of practice is always good. The bad karma is in the inactivity and the choices made to do other things rather than practice. That's negatively affected karma on this other one, right? Okay. So this, and again, the way most people think about karma, they think about this thing, right? We had a conversation on the uh, Mikio page that you have on Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. We talked, you talked about karma a little bit. So if you're not on Eric's Facebook page or Facebook fan page, it's about Mikio. You can point to that later on. Yeah. Um, you need to see some of these things. We don't have a lot of posts, but they'll give you some serious things to think about. Right. Because you and I had a little back and forth for maybe, I don't know, four or five posts mm-hmm. about karma. And then I really boom, opened up a trap door and went, <laughs> oh, crap. Now I really have to think about this. But anyway, um, again, most people think about just, OK, good action, bad action. That's like a three year old thinks about, you know, uh, good touch, bad touch, something like that. Right. It's not like that. Okay, because if we operated based on a three year old's perspective of the world, then none of us should be practicing self-defense or martial arts because hitting is bad and is therefore bad karma. And yet we actually get together and hit each other and have a freaking great time. Right. But Hmm. again, it's the intent behind the karma or the intent behind the action that makes it one thing or another. Hmm. Right. So that's one, that's, that's one thing to think about. The other thing is that there are two types of karma, okay? There is a primary cause to anything, okay? And then there are there, there's only one primary cause to any given thing that's, that's come into being. Baby, 
whatever. Okay. Uh, you know, parents got together and did their thing, right? That's primary cause. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and the, you know, the egg and the sperm just happened to be at the right place. And it just turns you off. Just click stop or fast forward or whatever. Okay. But it is what it is. Right. Um, those two things have to come together, right? To start to produce a baby. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's primary cause. Okay. But there are an incalculable number of conditioning causes. Mom has to be at the point just before menstruation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, there can't be any IUDs or anything like that in place to prevent dad's sperm from getting where it's going. Okay. In Mikio, there's this blood and sperm thing is a is a big symbolic thing in mm. in ritual practice, so that often throws people off too. So. Get over yourself. Anyway, um, uh, the the parents are conditioning causes. The parents' family line or bloodline conditioning causes, right? Uh, and then, of course, you know all these other things, right? Where the child is born, the conditions of birth, uh, the how they're nurtured, and and all that. Because there's some kids that are nurtured, you know, really, really well, and turn out to be freaking mass murderers, and other ones that have really Crappy upbrings, okay? Present company included, okay? Then just there was abuse and all kinds of things, and here I am, okay? So it's, mm. again, it's not a good touch, bad touch kind of thing because mm -hmm. that doesn't account for things. Okay, so, uh, so there are these conditioning causes, and that's where the 12 fold chain of dependent origination comes in. But when we look at the 12 fold chain, you know, we're looking at primary cause, this logical sequence, but Everything, everything, right? If you step into a defensive posture, how many karmic actions have you produced to get to that point? Because most people just go, well, I just stepped back and brought my arm up and I'm, okay, so let's just look at moving your right leg back into a given position, lifting your left arm up into this defensive position and putting your right arm close to your neck, shoulder as cover or whatever, right? So... Just those four, right? How many parts of your hand and arm moved to produce the end result, right arm or left arm? How many parts of your right leg that you stepped with moved? How many muscles fired? How many, right? How many pieces of sinew moved? How many, whatever, okay? So, wow. It's a lot, right? Mm. right? So these things tend to overlap and all that. It can get overwhelming, but once you re start to recognize these things, okay, then you can start to dissect things down and recognize that there's a problem with your Sagan, no come I, or this defensive posture, not because there's a problem with the posture, there's a problem with something that you're doing in the process of creating this bigger picture that you were focusing on. But we can start to look at smaller and smaller karmic actions in the process of creating the big picture to locate the, the problem and fix it. Because it's the problem isn't with your Sagan. The problem is, with, is in something about the way you move some part of your body or some parts of your body to get into that position. Hmm. Does that make sense? Okay. So three people could end up in the same end form, and I could tell two of them that they're wrong and one of them that they're right, and all three of them would look around like, okay, Right. Ego would flare. One guy would be like, yeah. The other two would be like, no. you know, whatever. But what's the difference? Mm. Okay. 
And that's the difference between a master and somebody who's just really good at something. A master can look across the room and they see what's going on. They see what's producing what everybody else is looking at. Hmm. But everybody else is looking at snapshot A, snapshot B, and they're not looking at the the phase, the process between the two hmm. and how it's coming about. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So even the way you look at things is a karmic thing, right? So karma, right, has to play itself out unless it is affected by an equal or greater karmic force. Now, that energy still has to play itself out, but it can be affected hmm. by other forces, Okay, and that's where ritual meditation in Mikio comes. That's where practice and correct practice and asking questions and all that kind of stuff and your training come in because you're doing something and you're repetitively doing what you think you should be doing, but input from your teacher and focusing on different aspects of your training or your your movement while you're doing it and all that kind of stuff is that are those other karmic forces that are applying, right? So it'll still play itself out. But it's going to be different, right? You can minimize things or whatever. You can never take back a karmic action, right? Like you can never you start training. You can never take back the fact that you started training. But you can affect the quality of the training. You can affect the end result, you, at the end of the training. You can affect all kinds of things. But you can't take back the fact that you started training, right? Mm. Okay, so... What happens at the end? So let's see. I got to look at my outline here. Difference between what people think it is, what it really is. I just described that and what it means to a ninja. I think I kind of alluded to that, which is just it's a tool, right? It is what it is. Now, um, to a ninja, I'm going to kind of talk about our Mikyo thing here for just a minute. One of the aspects in Mikyo, and actually you don't have to be, have to be doing uh, Mikyo, the Buddha was asked before his death, Right? There are all these people in the world that could benefit from this stuff, but they really don't want to convert from one religion to another or whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. What are the core lessons that you've taught that are applicable to anyone, regardless of whether they say they're going to be practicing the Dharma or whatever? Right? Mm-hmm. And he came up with these 37 fundamentals. They're called, as the, in Japanese, the, the Sanjushichi Dobon, the 37 fundamentals leading to enlightenment. Okay? Mm-hmm. And... Um, Seven of those, right? And they're cataloged because there's not, you're not looking at 37 chapters or whatever. They're blocked. Like the Noble Eightfold Path is the first eight of those mm-hmm. 37. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could say the last seven, right, are the seven qualities of an enlightened being or an mm. enlightened mind, okay? And one of those is recognizing karma, okay, in anything. So. You could look at anything, a person, a statue, anything, okay? And you can see two things, well, three things at the same time. You can see the thing that is there, which is what everybody sees, right? You can see the karmic action and influencing karma, conditioning, causes, and all that, right? Primary and conditioning that produced it, so past to present, mm-hmm. and you can see what that thing will cause, if it goes unaffected into the future, hmm. in which case that's where Yakshin Yorai and this medicine Buddha and all that, that, that nature 
of the teacher or the master that can fix things, that can diagnose an ailment and fix it and kind of things, comes in because you can't fix something that you can't recognize what's going on, and you don't know how to fix it if you don't know what it's going to cause in the future. You can't steer it in the direction. You can hop in your car and start driving, but unless you know where you're going or where you want to end up or the geography of the land or the conditions like, you know, here, last time we were recording the show, um, major snow fell, right? And the way I normally know how to get to this radio station, one of the streets were blocked off because they were removing snow. Mm-hmm. Well, I can figure things out because of left turns and right turns and all that stuff, but I didn't know the lay of the land. So it was guesswork until I recognized another mm-hmm. uh, uh, point of reference, right? But so knowing yeah. these things allow you to get from point A to point B or take a detour or whatever. Yeah. Well, and I think this is, you alluded to the Facebook conversation we kind of had about this, and I think that kind of came about in in talking about uh, this idea or story that a ninja can travel t- through time or, or affect and work outside of the concept of time. And I kind of got thinking and asked this question of you about, is that where karma comes in and seeing how... Th- just being able to think and see well, how things play out from past to present and then from present to future and being able to work backwards from that to affect something sure. forward in time. Everybody wants it to be magical, that, right? They right? want to be able to step through a portal and really do yeah. these things. But ultimately, to a ninja, we start in the physical, right? Anything spiritual is grounded in the physical anyway, right? Uh, one of the examples, and it really turns people off because they want to live the fantasy, Right. Um, is uh, in the Kuji, right? One of the Kuji is uh, equated to telekinesis, being able to move things without touching them, okay? Mm. Now, we're doing this via audio, so you're not going to be able to see some of the stuff that I'm doing, but um, uh, let's see. Um, We're here in the station, and I'm going to make this pencil that's sitting in front of Eric move, okay? Um, But let's do this first. Um, Eric, hand me the pencil, okay? Success. I just made it move. And you didn't have to touch it. And I didn't have to touch it until it landed in my hands. Or I could have told him to pick it up and kind of move it over off the paper that it was sitting on to this black section or whatever, okay? Now, as much as that... Wait, you mean it's not like the Jedi and the yeah, Force see, and you can... <laughs> now, I'm not saying that it's not, uh-huh. okay? But here's my question. If you can't influence your world enough to get people to help you make things happen... How the hell do you think you're going to affect the matrix mm. and energy forces and things like that? How, do you, how can you affect something you can't feel, recognize, or anything like that? Okay? And if you don't have enough influ- influence over people and their desire to help you or anything like that, to carry out something simple like that, how are you going to do something that you have no idea about how it works? Mm. Other than you wish it does, you will it to work, or... No, so the ninja working their will without apparent action is is just is off for most people. I mean, they don't, they don't get how that works, right? But I can get people to do things, but first I have to know how they process their world, their relative association to me, and their perspe- perception of me. Right. Or of other people. And then I can start a chain of. Of karmic action to influence them to do exactly what I want them to do. But there's 
a lot of work on my part. Now, that starts to feel like not work, just like stepping into Sagon or whatever feels like not work because it's wired into muscle memory. Mm-hmm. It's not something I have to think about or whatever. That It's the same process, right? Mm-hmm. So eventually it just becomes very, very quick. I can read somebody in less than five seconds. I can, you know, those kind of things, right? Um, some people takes a little bit longer. Now, we can't stand static in a room and me read them in five seconds, but, okay? And maybe I don't know everything about their lives, but I know what state they're in in that five seconds. And if I'm going to do something now, then I can influence how that's going to work, right? So you get how this works, right? So people. So, I mean, would it be safe to say for for a ninja that looking at something like karma is much the same as looking at something like uh, a weapon, a, like a bow staff, that it's a tool and sure. there's ways to use it for all different purposes? Absolutely. Now, karma is always present. Karma is like gravity. You don't have to believe in it. But if I take you off your feet, gravity's going to grab your narrow ass and pull you into the Earth's surface really, really well. Okay? It becomes an ally. So it's always working, right? So um, it's part of the learning process for learning the sword or the staff. But then it's also what are you going to do with it after you have it? And so a lot of people just want things to happen, like they learn the kata, right? But why is the next move, why is move number two or B or whatever you want to call it, right, what it is after move A? Partly because you understand the effects of karma and you know that he will be where he needs to be when he gets where he's going so that you can intercept him with the next move of the staff. To a beginner, it's just moves A, B, C, D, E, F. To a master... How I hit him, where I hit him, the angle, the intensity, and all that set up the next logical step. Okay? There's a bow kata that we have, so you brought a bow, that we have that's uh, called uh, yoko manuch, right? It's just a basic, right? Where we go to sweep the leg, and then we pop it up into the side of his face, and then we bring it around to, you know, do the other leg. And, you know, why the hell does it look like that? Well, because he has a sword, he's not stupid. And he's blocking each of your shots. So you start out by going, okay, he blocked that one. I'm going to go to this one that's open. He blocked that one. I'm going to bring it around and go after this one. He blocked that one. So I back out and reevaluate, right? But later on in your training, if you're really paying attention, you can start to affect and recognize at what part in my karmic action of bringing that bow around to go for his leg, does he recognize it and start the movement to block it? In that movement, in that moment, the karmic action has already played itself out because the strike, you're just wasting time and, and energy to, to continue the, the bow going around because he's already moving to block it. So mm. the kata says, in that moment, smack him in the side of his face, right? If he happens to catch that one, so you should be doing these things before he even catches it. So it's a matter of paying attention to what's going on mm. and not paying attention to the I swing, he blocks, I swing, he blocks. That's back to three-year-old, good touch, bad touch, right? It's just, it's too superficial, mm. okay? And again, we didn't even scratch the surface. This is just, there's a whole bunch of ways to look at karma, um, and um, it'll be up to each individual person or student to, Either ask me the right questions or ask, you know, take it to another teacher or do the next required work. 
Looking forward into our next episode of Kudin. We are going to take uh, a peek into martial arts and teachers. One of the the books that you have out there, The Karate Myth. Mm. This is the one on Amazon? Is that right? No, that's uh, the one that's called uh, Advanced Self-Defense Combat Tactics. The Karate Myth is still... Uh, actually, I'm... I'm Reworking the Karate Myth right now. I'm not rewriting it. Uh, it's only been available as an ebook up to this point, right. and it really talks about the whole uh, the, the the myths and the and the ways that people look at martial arts. One of the myths around the whole Karate Myth thing is if uh, somebody wears a black belt around their waist, then they're perfectly qualified to teach you how to defend yourself. Not true. They're perfectly qualified to teach you the moves of that martial art, but there's still some things that, that person's missing. I'm not yeah. saying that they can't. I'm not saying that what they share with you won't work or whatever, but they're not coming from an experiential base. And that's really good for somebody who's like looking to get in or looking for a teacher to yeah, kind of get those questions on what they should be asking. Yeah, and, should it's, be and, and it's an introduction to, now for those of you who are training and needed to, it's, it's module one material um, with all the Japanese stripped away from it, all the Japanese terminology and all that kind of stuff stripped mm -hmm. away from it. Okay. So for those of you who are have an aversion to, martial arts things, karate uniforms and all that because of a bad karmic taste in your mouth or whatever from previous experience, then this is a good introduction for you because these guys, the, the, the pictures and all that stuff are not karate moves or whatever, right? Um, so it's, it's a good meeting in the middle between my self-defense, uh, I'm going to use the word market, right? The people mm -hmm. that are coming to me mm -hmm. for self-defense things that don't want to have anything to do with ninja or martial arts or whatever, and the guys who are in martial arts training specifically for self-defense, okay? Now, what I was saying was it's only been available as an ebook. Uh, within the next month or two, it's going to be uh, available on Amazon as an actual solid book. Um, wow. Amazon is going to be uh, publishing it as a, as a as an actual solid book. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, all that. And uh, <laughs> in, in the next episode, we're also going to take a look uh, at, at the next element uh, of the Godai, Sui, water. And we'll also uh, talk about training. And and one Eric, of the cool things Eric, I got to... Eric, say Sui. 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 Not, uh, did I say Sui? Yeah, don't say Sui. sui. We're not calling a pig. Sui. Sui. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to work on that. See, I, try, I try to say Always things a student, too right? fast, and that's like the other day when I said Kooten. Kooten. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> what I, I also want to kind of I talk about... I wanted to about, put my shoes on, but I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get into some next-level training, and that uh, is something that I got to experience, which which I think everybody should. It's, just, it's awesome, and that's... Going international with your training and the the, the Japan training adventure that uh, that you do, you host, and how people can get a lot out of that, and it'll just be fun to reminisce as well. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, so that that's just some of what we'll be covering in the next episode of Kuden. So thank you very much again for no your problem. time, Mr. Thank Miller. Thank you very much, and thanks for listening in. And tell all your friends. Uh, right now we have about two hundred subscribers to the uh, to the podcast, and. Um, Within the next three months, I'd like for that to be 1,000. Yeah. 1,000. That would be awesome. Yeah, awesome. So spread the word. Tell your friends. And uh, definitely jump on Facebook. And you can also go straight to the website for more uh, information, warrior-concepts-online.com. Thank you for listening to Kuden, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes, call 570.
888-988-2228. Or log on to www.warrior-concepts-online.com. That's 570-988-2228. Or www.warrior-concepts-online.com.